motivating someone to do something they don't want to do sounds a bit like a superpower or maybe magic. Well, it's neither, says Dr. Uri Ganesi, a behavioral economics professor at the University of California in San Diego. Actually motivating someone to do something they don't want to do is just the smart use of incentives. But they can send mixed signals and backfire at work, for example. Leaders who preach innovation but punish failure. At home, we pay children for chores to teach responsibility, but instead create entitlements. And Uri argues we are all pawns in the incentive game, and those who understand them have an advantage. His new book is called Mixed Signals, How Incentives Really Work. And Professor Uri Nizi joins us now from Tel Aviv. Uri, hello. Hello, hello. Good afternoon to you. Lovely to chat to you today. You start the book with a story about your son and the mixed signals you sent him. What happened? So uh, my son just turned three and we celebrated his birthday and then we went to Disney World. And then uh, when you get to the gate, they ask you how old he is. If he's under three, it's free. If he's over three, it's $117. And without (laughs) hesitation, I told him that I told them, look, he's almost three, which wasn't a lie because he was almost three just from the wrong side. (laughs) uh, He was three in a bit. Exactly, exactly. Uh, when they get three, it's, I love this period because they start talking with you and replying and it's, it's a conversation already. But you also start lying. And I tried before that, I tried to tell him, look, you shouldn't lie. Only bad people lie. Then I got to the, to the cashier at the Disney World and I lied. So he noticed. And a few minutes later, he grabs my, my hand and asks, Daddy, Daddy, you told me that only bad people lie and you just did. Mm. And that's that was an embarrassing. So the idea of the book is that you you can tell your kids, you can tell your employees, you can tell whoever you are talking with, whatever you want. But then when the incentive show up, in this case, the hundred and seventeen dollar incentive, I did something else. And which signal should he should he learn? What should he learn? That you shouldn't lie, or that you should lie only when it's worth at least hundred and seventeen dollars. What can the rest of us learn from that anecdote? That we, when we design incentives, and by the way, we're not all just pawns in the game of incentives. We are also the designers of incentives, right? So we have two roles, two, both roles. We need to understand that when we design incentives, it's not just the money or whatever it is that we are giving. It's also the message that we are sending with it. And once you understand this, once you pay attention to the message, you can really get much more from your incentives. So incentives don't always bring out our best selves, we learned from you at Disney World. Is that your fault for acting on an incentive or is it their fault for setting the wrong incentive? Well, so they could have done better. So, for example, they, they could have asked you to bring a, some kind of idea, but that, that's bad, right? Because uh, you go to the happiest place in the world, you don't want them to ask you for documentation. <laughs> but they could have done something more. They could have asked the child, did you, did you or didn't you have uh, th- your third birthday already? Now, I could train my kid to lie about that, but that's that's really a strong signal. That's a much stronger signal. So that that's the kind of solutions that I'm looking for. That's something that they could have done. So they set the right incentives. They didn't put the right uh, ways of actually making it happen. If you search on Google uh, Analytics, you see that billions of people are searching for what I did. And in many, many other cases that I discussed, you mentioned the failed 
you know, in, uh, encouraging creativity, but then punishing failure. Well, if you encourage someone to be creative, you basically ask that person to have a higher variance, such that there is a higher chance that they'll do something that wouldn't work, but also a higher chance that they'll do something really interesting. And if you punish them once they fail, if they know that they won't be promoted or maybe even fired, they wouldn't try enough new things, right? So this balancing between what you want them to do and what you tell them that you want them to do is is the the secret. You, oh, you talk about incentives. We've already um, spoken briefly about that, but you also talk about signals in the book. How do those differ, incentives and signals, and, and what is the interplay between the two? So the the, per, the first part is doctrine. They are not different. They are they are really. It's really about the interplay between the two. The second part of what you said. Mm-hmm. So every incentive sends a signal. If I tell you. If you tell your kid, like you said, uh, I'll give you, I'll pay you if you take out the trash, that's a signal that he shouldn't do it without you paying. Them, <laughs> right? Which is not a great signal, right? Because that's what they're going to learn. There are some cases in which you should incentivize your kids. So you probably have the version of the American SAT just before they go to college. Mm-hmm. Now, the, my experience at least was that you have very annoying teenagers that don't want to invest in this one of test that could really determine their future. And that might be a good place to incentivize them because there's no, the only long-term effect of it is whether you get into college or not. But if you want kids to learn how to enjoy reading books, for example, that's much harder. It's just giving them money will get them to read the book, but won't get them to enjoy reading. It. And that's, that's what we try to do. Is it wrong to think of incentives as a form of manipulation? No, that's what it is. I'm trying to get you to do something that you wouldn't do otherwise. (laughs) And manipulation has a negative context to it, and that's right because um, it's like statistics. Incentive is not good or bad in itself. If you get people, people want to diet more, exercise more, smoke less, and you help them with incentives, then it's good. If you get uh, 10-year-old kids hooked on cigarettes, then it's bad. Incentive in itself is not good or bad. It's what you're going to do with it. How to Coca-Cola. By the way, if you've uh, just tuned in, I'm talking to Professor Uri Ganesi, a behavioral economics professor at the University of California in San Diego. We're talking about incentives and how did Coca-Cola get the story wrong when it came to pricing in vending machines, Uri? In the book, I talk about... uh, Sorry, an idea that the CEO of Coca-Cola had. His idea was simple. On a regular day, we charge people a dollar per soda can. On a hot day, we can charge them more, let's say dollar fifty. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, we call it in economics, we call it price discrimination. And in the book, I described the, the reaction that was to it. People got, of course, really upset. Why is he trying to, why is he so greedy trying to get more money from us on a hot day? The right way, the way you should have done it is to say that the regular price is $1.50 and on a cold day, I give you a discount. <laughs> now, it's yeah. a, exactly, exactly. It's exactly the same situation. When you go on a hot day, it's $1.50 and a cold day, it's dollar, a dollar, but it's a very different story. The, the, we all get some cues from the environment and create a mental story. And the mental story is shaped to a great extent by incentives. If there are incentives, in this case, the price of the soda can, 
it really shapes the kind of story. In the first story, Coca-Cola is an evil company. In the second story, Coca-Cola is trying to help us. Hmm. Uh, well, maybe Uber should do that. People get pretty cross with the Uber surge prices. Maybe Uber should say, are you actually getting a discount when things are quiet? I think that Uber stopped calling it surge, right? So it used to be extremely annoying. Now it's disguised. It's still extremely annoying. <laughs> look, look, if I have to pay five times more than I usually do because of something, I'm going to get upset. That's uh, So that's that, that's exactly the factor I'm talking about. It makes economic sense. You want to charge more because if there isn't enough driver, enough supply of drivers, you want to increase the price, then you'll have more drivers. Drivers are going to come. And that's clearly what the evidence showed. Drivers look for places with surcharge. But you upset your clients. Is it really worth upsetting the clients? There is even the extreme case. So they, they have an algorithm Uber, Lyft, all of them. And what happened with Uber is that if some disaster happens, so earthquake, the algorithm immediately uh, hikes the price. And you can imagine, you know, there was a earth an earthquake, you really want to run away and get home, and now they're charging you five times more. That's really mm. annoying. So they, they need to take this uh, feeling of people much more into account. Um, by the way, I didn't mention the book. Um, if you're interested in more, uh, Uri's book is called Mixed Signals, How Incentives Really Work. Let's talk Seinfeld, because anyone who's ever uh, angsted over what to give as a gift has faced uh, the wrong signal dilemma. Uh, can right. you tell us what right. that is? Sure. So first of all, if you want to understand psychology, behavioral economics, you should just watch Seinfeld. You know, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld knew what they're talking about. This <laughs> one is about gifts. And the idea is that gifts send signals. Imagine that you invite me for dinner next time I'm in New Zealand. I'll come over and bring you a nice bottle of wine, say a $50 bottle of wine. You'll yeah. say thank you and be happy with it. Right? Mm -hmm. Imagine instead that I'll tell you, sorry, I just landed, I was tired, whatever, I fell asleep, but here's $50. <laughs> that, that's going to be very weird, right? Imagine that your friend asks you to come over and help him with uh, moving a sofa. You go help him, and then he gives you $10. That's going to be really awkward. If he'll mm. buy you a beer for $5, that's fine, right? Mm -hmm. So gifts send signals about the, the relations that we have. So in the Seinfeld episode that you mentioned, Jerry needs to buy Elaine a birthday present. Now, they used to be lovers. Now, they're just friends, and he needs to care. So he takes George, goes with George, who else, and they go to look for things. And he says, no, this is too romantic. No, this is too sexual. This is too domestic. So every item that he picks has the wrong signal. He says, look, she's going to bring experts from all over the world to interpret the, the <laughs> At the end, he, he brings her cash, and she's screaming at him, what are you, my uncle? So it's, uh, think about the signals. That's, that's the point. Company, workplaces send mixed signals, don't they? They talk about, they talk a good game about teamwork and ideas and quality, but actually they tend to incentivize individual effort and actually probably quantity over quality. Right. So they do it for several reasons. One is that quantity is easier to measure. I can measure how many whatever shirts or whatever it is that you're mm. producing you, you made. Quality is subjective and it's harder to evaluate. So that's, I think that that's one reason that they do it. 
But then they tell you, no, every company, no company will tell you, we don't care about quality. We just want you to make as many, whatever it is that you're making. They'll tell you, no, quality is really important or safety is our number one priority and whatever. Think about two taxi companies. One pays the driver per hour. This driver is going to be very, you know, she's going to drive slowly around. She's going to be very polite, uh, not aggressive. And the, the riders might be happy. They won't be they won't get where they want too fast, but they'll be happy. Imagine the second company that pays the drivers per passenger that she picks up. This driver is going to be very strategic. She's going to drive around looking for places where to stand, what to do, but she's also going to drive more aggressively and she is going to be maybe less polite. She wants people to go out as fast as possible. So you get this tension between paying for quantity or not. If you pay for quantity, you're going to lose quality. And that's true in many, many examples. The question is, how can you solve it? And you mentioned Uber. Uber solved it in a very nice way. So in Uber, there is another layer of incentives, which is the rating that you get. Yeah. I'm sure that, uh, that that's what you have in New Zealand as well, that yeah. uh, when you end the, the ride, you, you can give the drive between one to five stars. Now, if she'll drive like crazy or the car will not be clean or, or whatever, you're going to give her one star mm -hmm. and she's going to suffer. She doesn't want that, right? So Uber was able to add another layer of incentives, these ratings, without ex any extra cost, which I think is very smart, right? So now, I, again, I don't know your experience. My experience with taxi drivers versus Uber, it's always nicer in an Uber mm -hmm. to ride with an Uber with a driver because they care about the car. It's their own car, and they care about the rating, so they care about the long run. And that's, I think, that's, that's a great example of how you can add another layer of incentives and get rid of some of the mixed signals problem that you have. Your, your book is full of fantastic examples of when incentives go wrong. Um, the uh, I think it was Vietnam where they had a, a monetary payment for uh, bringing a dead rat in and someone worked out if they farmed rats, they'd be able to get as many dead rats as they wanted. Um, another one in, in, in Wales where they were trying to work out how to stop parents taking kids out of school uh, during term time. One recent one that people will remember was the COVID-19 vaccinations and governments and authorities around the world were trying to work out what would work to get people to get their vaccinations. And um, quite a few people like this idea of a lottery. Uh, you get your COVID vaccination, you get a ticket for a lottery. But actually you liked an incentive in New Jersey a little bit better. Right. So let let me tell you why I didn't like the, you know, you have a chance of winning a million dollars. Let's say that mm. they tell you, Jesse, can you please help me? I need to run this uh, test of a new pill for a headache. Uh, we'll need you to stay for a couple of hours. Uh, but don't worry, there are no side effects. Everything is going to be okay. I even pay you, uh, say, $100 for doing this. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe you'll be a nice guy and say yes. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine exactly the same story, but I'll tell you that I, I'll pay you $100,000 if you'll do it. You might do it. You might even be more likely to do it with 100000 but for sure you're going to be very worried. Like, why, why is this guy pays me $100,000 to take something without side effects? Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's, the, that's the example of signals that you get. And uh, when you offer people a million dollars, even if it's only a small probability, they say, oh, that must be really bad. Otherwise, why does he offer me so much money to do that? And like you said, the, the one that I preferred is the one in which you said, look, if you get vaccinated, it's hard to think about it because it's so, you know, it's so recent and yet looks so yeah. far away. Hopefully we won't uh, have this experience again. 
So basically you say, look, we want to open up. We need, uh, think about your local shop, your coffee shop or bookstore or whatever, right? You want, you want them to open up. For that, we need everyone to get vaccinated because otherwise we won't be able to open. So in order to encourage this and to allow you to go back to your neighborhood, uh, we're going to give you, say, $50 or $100 in, uh, in credit for your local stores. That's the right signal to say. That's saying, look, here's why, why we care. We care because we want to open up. And the people that really need you are the people in your local stores. So we're going to give you some money to spend in these local stores. I like this one much more because of the signal. That yeah. Good. There was another one where you, where you could get vaccinated and, and maybe win a chance for dinner with the governor. Right, right, right. right. So depending on your governor, maybe you want to meet, uh, you meet them. <laughs> and by them doing this, they, it, they, they show, so my governor in California, uh, at the peak of the pandemic where everything was closed, went to, to a fancy restaurant in, um, in Napa Valley with his buddies, right? That's not the right signal that you want to send. The right signal is, look, I really care about this. This is really important. And because of that, I'm willing to, to spend time with you. And if, if you're going to... To you to take the, the vaccine, right? So that you send as a governor, you send a signal that you're really into this. You care about the vaccine. I like it. Again, that's I would rather have be part of this lottery with small probability than the million dollar that with very small probability. If I want to to participate in a million dollar lottery, I'll go and buy a ticket. <laughs> all of these organizations have good intentions. They all want, um, well. For the large part, they want uh, the right right sorts of things. It's just that it goes wrong sometimes. The incentives create outcomes they didn't anticipate. Is there anything you can do before you launch your incentive program to make sure you're not going to have unintended consequences? So I think that companies, I talk with companies a lot, and what they are missing is what I like to call common sense officer. So they have... Uh, CEO and CFO and whatever, all the people that take care of the finance and the organization and the operation, you don't have someone with common sense that would <laughs> tell them, look, this is stupid. And that could be you or me or my kids or just a normal person. So for me, for example, I'm not on social media because I'm, I'm worried about what I'm going to say because I'm old, right? I can tell a dead joke that will be really bad. And if I want to do something like that, I'll ask my kids. They're not experts, but they're in the right age to ask them about something like that. Have a common sense officer in, the, in your board. When you sit, don't look just at the engineers and the economists, but look at someone, a, a normal person. Get your secretary in and ask him, look, does this make sense? What would be your reaction if, if I'll offer you, if I'll tell you that, it's going, that the soda can that you're going to have is going to be 50 cents more expensive when it's hot? And your assistant will tell you, no, that, don't do that, right? So that's one really important thing. Just use common sense when you think about the signals that incentives send. And the second one is to try and use uh, A-B testing kind of thing. So we do it when, whenever we launch a new product, we try it first. In the physical world, online, everywhere, we try to do that. Just do it. Just uh, release your incentives. See what, how people react to it. See, release it to a small sample. See how they react to this. You'll probably find ways to modify it until you get something that you're satisfied with. Don't just assume that you got it right because people are really creative at gaming the system. I have to ask while we've got you here, anything I can do at home to incentivize myself to uh, 
maybe do a bit more exercise, eat a bit less. Any ideas from the theory that you've seen? Yes. So uh, exercising is really interesting because exercising and eating. Actually, exercising is easier than dieting because to diet, you need to be a good kid for 24 hours a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? It's, it, you can be good all day and then be tired, watch something and eat a large piece of cake and you'll be disappointed with yourself. For exercising, yeah. you need to be good only for, say, an hour a day. Mm-hmm. Right? So uh, that's why I think that exercising is easier. But I don't know about you, but most of your listeners probably, or many of your listeners will have this experience that they, were, they had periods in their life in which they were going to the gym, they were happy about this, going, you know, looking forward to the next time, and times in which they couldn't get themselves off the sofa. Now, why does this happen? And we think that one thing that happens is that you build what economists call a stock of behavior. So if I do an activity for long enough, the next time is going to be easier than if I didn't do it, say, for a month. Right, because if you go to a new place, you need to find where a new gym. Say you need to find where to park, how to get there, what exercise to do. You know, it's it's kind of uh, friction that we don't like to do. Now, with incentives, if I can give you, and we did it with students, we paid students to go to the gym for a month, and after that, after we paid them, we saw that they were more likely to continue. Hmm. Those were students who wanted to exercise more. Right. So if you if we just get the inertia, we get you into there, and you start doing this there is a higher chance that you'll continue doing this. Now you asked about yourself. How can you incentivize yourself? You should tell yourself, look, for the coming month, I'm going to go and exercise no matter what. I'm not going to question myself. It's going to be more. It, it's going to feel more costly than beneficial, but still I'm going to do it. And then reevaluate only after a month. And by the way, you need to make this experience pleasant for you because if, the, if you're going to suffer when you, if you choose, say, I, I hate running, if I'll choose running, there's no way I'll keep doing it. <laughs> but if I find something that I like. So for me, it was the watching Netflix while, only while I'm on the elliptical machine. Oh, yeah. Right? Because then I'm looking forward to the next one because I, know to know, I want to know what happens in the next uh, yeah, yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love right? it. But, so think about reading. My mother got it right many years ago already. So when I was a kid, I used to read these horrible Western, you know, cheap uh, books. And people asked my mother, how, why does she allow me to do this? And she said, I don't care. As long as he enjoys reading, that's fine, right? <laughs> and the, the approach at school was to try and teach us uh, Dostoevsky at the time. Now, Dostoevsky is a great book, maybe when you're 60 and you have the patient and you can read it, not when you're 16. So I think that that, that goes to exercise. And also find something that you like. Don't worry about, you know, oh, that's not deep enough or that's stupid or that's trash. If you get your kid to find something that they like reading, that's that's the secret because you don't want them to read books. You want them to enjoy reading books. School is too focused. I may, I'm not up to date, I have to say, but in general, schools are very focused on getting you to read certain books instead of getting you to enjoy uh, reading books, which I think is more important. Got it. Uri, um, thank you so much for your time today. Great stuff. I'm going to send people to the book, Mixed Signals, How Incentives Really Work. And thanks so much for uh, sparing us some of your day. Thank you. It's the beginning of the day. It's 6 a.m., so I'm looking forward to my coffee. Great. Uh, Dr. Yuri Genizin.